Good morning. Welcome to Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We are glad that you are here with us today and that you have chosen to worship with us. We have a number of special guests here this morning that we are excited to have with us, and Keith is going to introduce them further, but we are excited to first have Kevin Clary back to play trumpet again this morning. We're glad that you're here to help us lead in worship. We are excited to have Dr. Frank Bonner, who is the president at Gardner-Webb University, here with us this morning. We are excited to have Kathy Chapel from the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of North Carolina, who is here with us this morning. And then we are very excited to have Deborah Reeves, who is here this morning and will be offering our message later in our service. We welcome all of you. We are glad that you are here with us today as we, uh, as we lead in worship this morning. The flowers that are placed in our sanctuary are in honor of Reverend Deborah Gaddis Reeves and her dedication to her faith and family. These flowers are given by Roger and Ellen and the Humphreys family. We welcome you and your family here this morning. Tonight at six o'clock, there is a very special time of service that Mary and I would like to invite all of you as our church family. At six o'clock this evening, Mary and I will both be ordained as ministers, and we are excited for this special time of celebration and worship, and we invite all of you to come back at six o'clock this evening for that. We are glad that you are here with us today, that you have chosen to worship with us at Boiling Springs Baptist. May we all prepare our hearts to worship our Lord this morning, and Ellen has an announcement this morning as we begin. As we step into the future today, I invite the children to come with me and Justin and Stephanie and Luke as we ring the bell.
As we begin our time together this morning, I'm going to be reading from the book of Psalm, chapter 103. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 13, can be found on page 521 and 522 of your pew Bible. Psalm 103, 1 through 13 says this, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Our hymn is number 56, Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah, number 56. If you are able, please stand and join with me in singing.
invite the children to come forward for lesson on the steps. It is so good to see all y'all this morning. I wish y'all had been at Sunday school this yeah. morning. Yeah. And what happened, Wyatt? Um, my mommy said, uh, <laughs> Did we have boys everywhere? Yeah. We had boys everywhere, didn't we? Keep it a surprise, secret, okay? I think that's better. Okay, okay. All right, I want you to look and hear what I've got in my hand. Can you see what I've got? Will, can you see what I've got? Pencils. Pencils. And are all the pencils the same? Yeah. They are? Yeah. What's wrong with them, Will? They're what? They're different colors. But if you look at this pencil, what's it missing? Can you see what it's missing? What's supposed to be on the end of the pencil? Erasers, that's right. And what do you do with an eraser? Of course, you're not in school yet, so you don't make mistakes, do you? You do go, that's right. Well, you know what we do with the pencil? Miss Julie and I sometimes have to use a pencil. We use an eraser to make a mistake. And why we make it, why do we erase those mistakes? Because we did something bad, maybe? Well, what does what happens when you make a mistake and you talk to God? Does he forgive your mistakes? Yes, he does. Thank you, Will. He does. Just like all these pencils that are different colors. But they all don't have erasers. But it's just like all of you and mommies and daddies. We're all different, aren't we? We're all different. And God erases our mistakes all the time. That's your favorite color, isn't it? But it doesn't have an eraser on it. Look, it's all gone. Wyatt, you got to you want to come sit with me? <laughs> okay, all right. Can we remember that God re- erases our mistakes when we do that and we just ask Him to forgive us? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> all right, can we pray? Yeah. Can we cl- close our eyes and there you go. Dear Lord, we thank you for these precious children the life that they have, the love of life that is in them is because of you, Lord. And every one of us is different and every one of them is different. All made with only the love that you can give them. And we know, Lord, when we make those mistakes that over and over and over again, you forgive us. You lift our heart You make us feel good, and we thank you for that. Keep us safe this week, and bring these smiling children and their families back to worship next Sunday. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And good morning once again. Some Sundays, some Sunday mornings, the children are so quiet. Today was not one of those Sundays. <laughs> and uh, that's okay. And thank you, Ellen, for all that you do on a regular basis. This has been a big week for Boiling Springs Baptist Church. Many of you have participated in some special services and opportunities that we have had this week, and so we are grateful for that. And many of you have helped to plan and organize and clean and do different things and preparations for the, our services and activities. And so if you have fallen that category, let me also say thanks as well. Today is a special day in that we continue our celebration of 170 years of Boiling Springs Baptist Church. We had a very special time Friday on the day that our church was instituted or, commem or commenced in 1847. And so we celebrated that day on Friday and it was a very special time here in our prayer garden. Today we have several special guests with us and uh, at this time I'd like to introduce Dr. Frank Bonner, uh, president of Garden Webb University. He was born in Durham, North Carolina, but raised in Greenville, South Carolina under the shadows of Furman University. He and I both have a desire to advance the kingdom of God. And for a committed believer of Jesus Christ, that can take different forms and different shapes. And Dr. Bonner's forum has taken the shape of Christian higher education. And so uh, our mission uh, is also uh, to educate, is also to instruct and guide um, but our missions look different. And so I'm grateful that God can take, as we think about these young children that were just here, and remind us all that we all have, have been gifted and called in different ways, but we are all part of advancing the kingdom. And so Dr. Bonner, we are grateful for your presence with us. Come and share with us greetings from Garden Web. Good morning. It is a genuine pleasure to be with you this morning, and it's an honor to be asked to have a part in the celebration of 170 years of history of this great church. And as your church history points out, uh, worship in this community actually goes at least as far back as 1816. So two centuries of worship in this community, 170 years uh, at, this, at this very great church. I appreciate very much that, that Gardner-Webb would be invited, that I would be invited to, to represent Gardner-Webb because the history of Gardner-Webb and the history of Boiling Springs Baptist Church are absolutely intertwined. Uh, in fact, I'm confident that Gardner-Webb would not be uh, over there today were it not for this church. In fact, while no one can know what, uh, how history might have transpired, uh, we cannot know for certain that Gardner-Webb even would exist uh, had it not been for this church. Uh, our two institutions are intertwined in at least three ways, uh, physically with regard to location, uh, historically, and spiritually. Now, at a very, very early age, uh, I learned and continue to understand that uh, when we speak of the church, it's the people uh, who are the church and not the building. But when we speak of the, of the church building, uh, the, 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 the building of Bowling Springs Baptist Church uh, over the years was located on at least two different locations on what is today the campus of Garden Web. I think one of those locations is a little bit uncertain as to exactly where it was. Uh, but in terms of location, we are definitely uh, intertwined, our two institutions. Uh, that location is important in ways that we may not always think about. Uh, when I first came to Gardner-Webb or first visited Gardner-Webb, very first time, 
uh, in the spring of 1987. I had never been here before. I did not know what to expect in terms of, of what the campus and the surroundings would look like. And I still very, very clearly and distinctly remember uh, that the first thing that I noticed as I drove into town from this direction uh, was this church. Uh, and it made a very, very positive and distinct impression uh, that this, this is a good place. This is a good place to, to consider coming. Historically, uh, Boiling Springs Baptist Church and Gardner-Webb are intricately related. Uh, in the 1890s, uh, the Kings Mountain Association, Kings Mountain Baptist Association, began thinking more and more seriously about education uh, in this region. And there were two things that they thought about. One is that education should be for all people and not just for ministers. And also they realized that it was an awfully big jump to move from what was then called the common school. Uh, I think that must have been what we would call today elementary schools, but to but to jump from the common school into college. And so there was a perceived need for a high school uh, in this region. And so there were 15 uh, trustees who were appointed to pursue that idea of a high school in this area, and in particularly to locate, uh, to, to determine the location. And so that group met over in Shelby, and according to the history of Francis B. Dedman, the history of, of Gardner-Webb, uh, on May the 6th, 1905, Boiling Springs Baptist Church called a conference. Uh, and I'll quote from Dedman's history. Uh, J.Y. Hamrick made a motion that the church offer the old church house and two acres of land with the understanding that if the school should later have to close, the land would be given back to the church. Uh, unquote. Now, I certainly don't expect and certainly hope that Gardner-Webb will never close, but you might be interested that maybe we would owe you two acres of land if, if we did. Uh, I would much prefer that we simply give you a couple of acres of land, and uh, if necessary, we'd, we'd be glad to, to do that. Uh, and so the church appointed a group to travel over to Shelby. Uh, they traveled in a buggy. Uh, and Dedman points out that apparently uh, while they were in that meeting, some children played in that buggy because they found a doll uh, in that buggy later uh, when they went home. But I think it was about two, uh, about two months later that that group determined that yes, Boiling Springs uh, should be the location for that new high school. Uh, and as the cliche goes, uh, the rest is, is history. But our two institutions are especially connected, as Pastor McKinney has pointed out, uh, spiritually, uh, in that we share a very, very common purpose. Uh, we do very clearly enunciate that the purpose of Gardner-Webb University uh, is to advance the kingdom of God through Christian higher education. And I'm confident that the, the purpose of this church is to advance the kingdom of God through the spread uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is, uh, history is important, location is important, but that is the greatest and the most important connection uh, that this church and Gardner-Webb University have. And so again, thank you for the privilege and the, the pleasure of being with you and congratulations on the celebration of 170 years of, of great history. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bonner. We are grateful for your time and presence with us today. 
Before I pray this morning, I do want to mention just a few quick things. One is in your bulletin, you will notice that we have an ongoing way to remember our past and celebrate our present and look to the future, and that is through our hymnal project. And so you may be a guest or with us today just for this Sunday. Uh, You may live out of town, uh, but you can be a part of this hymnal project. We want you to be mindful of that. And you can also pay for a hymnal and and give us some details through our new online giving as well. And so uh, please be mindful of that. Today is, or this month is special in the sense that we are doing something that we do really every, uh, every fall, but what makes it even more special this year is in light of uh, what has taken place within our, um, within our borders, within the United States over the last several weeks. And we've had two major hurricanes, Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma. Next Sunday morning, we will be taking up an offering for Uh, North Carolina Baptist Missions, and this will go to help with the ongoing relief efforts both with Harvey and with Irma, and so we encourage you to give to that very generously uh, this this next Sunday. We are privileged to have two guests with us. I want to take this opportunity, two additional guests with us. Uh, and One is really not so much a guest um, that was born and raised here, but let me take a moment before I pray to introduce two very special people. Uh, one of which who will come in just a moment is Kathy Chapel from CBFNC. And Kathy, we're glad to have you with us today. She is the Leadership Development Coordinator with CBF, and I'll let her explain more details of what she does with CBFNC. Uh, But uh, CBFNC is another one of our mission partners. We have several as a church that we participate with, and we are grateful for for the relationship that we have with CBFNC. We are also privileged today to have someone back home, and that is Deborah Gaddis-Reeves, and we look forward to hearing her and what the Lord has laid on her heart today. Uh, Deborah is an ordained minister, and has uh, her own path in ministry. Her husband, Stephen, is at CBF National there in Georgia. And uh, Deborah, we look forward to your words with us today. And I'm, maybe you're back there. There you are, I see. Um, but we look forward uh, to your time with us today and welcome, welcome home. I enjoy sharing conversations, not only with you, but with your parents across the gate uh, when, when we live there where we did there on Edgewood and, and your street there as well. But um, again, we are grateful for each of you being here, not only our, um, our special guests, but if you were here today as a, as a guest in the community, we are grateful that you have chosen uh, to worship here at Bowling Springs Baptist. Let's pray together. God, we come to you at this hour grateful, grateful for another opportunity to worship, to be together as your people, and another opportunity to grow in our faith. Challenge us today through your word, through song, and message. As we continue to celebrate 170 years of Boiling Springs Baptist Church, may the consecrated lives of those who have gone before us and our own faithfulness and witness continue their radiance, both here in Boiling Springs and around the world. Today, as we look to the future, we ask what Paul asked, that you would lead us and guide us to greater heights of knowledge and understanding. We ask for your blessing on each one here today, for our guests from the community, We are grateful, and for our guests on the platform today, we thank you for safe travels, and we ask for your blessing on their respective places of service. Lord, our hearts remain heavy regarding those in Texas and Florida, for all those seeking to rebuild and to restore, for those assisting on the ground, we ask that you provide for their needs. Stir our hearts in ways we can give and bless our offering collected this next Sunday. God, for those who cannot be with us today due to illness or other personal reasons, We pray your presence as the Good Shepherd would walk beside them today and would meet them at the point of their need. For our missionaries serving you here in the States and around the world, we pray for protection, provision, 
and a fruitful ministry. God, this day is yours. Have your way in each heart and mind. And when we leave, may we all say with the prophet David, it was good to be in the house of the Lord. We ask this prayer in the name above all names, the one who transformed lives 170 plus years ago, and the one who is still doing this today. The name of Jesus. Amen. Just thanking the choir for their beautiful music this morning. Congratulations, 170 years. This is a celebration I have uh, watched with interest this week on the website and some emails from Candy and from Keith about all the goings on. And I hope you have enjoyed this celebration and glad that you are continuing uh, to appreciate the history that you have and the presence you have in Boiling Springs and in the Gardner-Webb community today. Dr. Bonner, good to see you this morning. Um, I am Kathy Gorechapel, Leadership Development Coordinator with Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of North Carolina, and we are friends and partners with you, Boiling Str Springs Baptist Church, and with Gardner-Webb University and Gardner-Webb School of Divinity. Um, in fact, I am in town, uh, was planning to come this afternoon so that I could be um, present and raring to go in the morning for our annual Elevating Preaching Conference. Uh, our four partner divinity schools, Campbell, Gardner-Webb, Wake Forest, and Baptist House of Studies at Duke, alternate years hosting that conference, and it's Gardner-Webb's turn this year. So we are here, uh, and when I learned about your 170th anniversary, I contacted Keith and said, can I come early and be with you and bring a greeting? And that is what I do today. My major area of responsibilities are with theological education and ministerial excellence. We have other staff who focus on missions, Hispanic network, uh, ministers and congregations in transitions, youth and children's mission days, programming retreats. In fact, um, we have a youth retreat with 350 young people at Caswell this weekend, um, a CBFNC event. So you can see we are all over the state. And disaster relief is a huge area for us. We are very um, aware. We are people who hurt with other people and respond accordingly. We also partner with Baptist men, um, and we are still giving grants to folks in Lumberton from Hurricane Matthew. Uh, so while we are responding to Harvey, to Irma, Matthew is still an issue as well. So our state has been hit hard, and we are thankful for Baptist men in ministry uh, who can be our hands on site and for all the people who respond in areas of justice and mercy. We are Christ followers. We seek to be the hands of Christ in this world. Thank you for partnering with us and us with you. We thank you for your history of support of women in ministry, for the work you do with students, divinity students. And I want to say to you, just in case you don't know, uh, Alan Newcomb is one of our premier scholars. We have a special scholarship. We have 27 CBFNC scholars. Um, 
And Alan Newcomb is one of three Lolly scholars. Um, and you must be so proud to have him on your staff and know of the, the caliber of young man and divinity student that he is. And we celebrate with he and his wife Mary at their ordination. So all that to say, even though I live in Winston-Salem and am not with you, I come to town once or twice a year and I am here to say congratulations. Thank you for the partnership. May the peace of the Lord be with you. Amen. Thank you, Kathy. Um, our next hymn is number 390. We are called to be God's people, number 390. If you would, if you're able, please stand and join me in singing. Gracious Father, you are the source of all that is good in our lives. Isaiah 26 and verse 12 tells us, All that we have done, you have done for us. 
Let us acknowledge this by our giving of our tithe and our offerings to you. We should also recognize you as the source of our talents and abilities. May we also give in all the ways as you are gifted, as we are gifted by you. We ask for your blessing upon this offering this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. 
I'm honored to be reading from the Word of God this morning. Our scripture is from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, beginning with verse 19 and reading through verse 31. This passage describes the dramatic account of how Moses put his trust in the Lord in the face of adversity, beginning with verse 19. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other side. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army, and he threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, Moses, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day... The Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power of the Lord displayed against all the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. To be welcomed home, to belong somewhere no matter how far you have wandered, to know there is a place where you will be surrounded by eternal love as soon as you enter. This is Bowling Springs Baptist Church for me. And it sounds like a good description of heaven as well. Thank you, church family for inviting me home to preach as we anticipate 
God's work through us in the future. Though some of you do not know me, I am a part of you. I was born belonging to this church family. As I scan the congregation today, I see the faces of the Christians who are a part of my life story. I feel the presence of the saints who have died but who live eternally in my heart and mind. I first learned about God and the radical life of Jesus with you. You taught me to serve and to give. I worshiped with you through choir, through missions and preaching. You taught me, you taught me through your words and your actions. You witnessed my baptism. You heard and nurtured God's calling on my life. It never was an issue in this Baptist family that I am a female called by God. In fact, I listened and watched as other women preached and led in worship. Thank you, church, for trusting that God can and does call anyone and all of us to serve. You further affirmed my calling by ordaining me to the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. You participated in the worship service that united Stephen and me in holy marriage. You anticipated the birth of our children and celebrated by welcoming them into our church family as well. Many of you pray for me. I still have the cards with words of encouragement that you sent me years ago on the mission field and later when I served as a chaplain. The most important lesson you taught me is to love God and to love church. We are missional people. Bowling Springs Baptist Church supports God's mission by joining God at work, by praying fervently and faithfully for the growth of God's kingdom and by financially supporting God's mission here and beyond. Church, you have many other children like me who you have loved and nurtured over the years since they first entered this place. Recognizing that your love is part of the life story of many other BSBC kids like me, I reached out to more than 50 adults between the ages of 20 and 40 who were children and or youth in our church, asking them what their hopes are for the future of our home church. The feedback I received helped shape the sermon today. That's right, your kids and grandkids wrote the sermon, with the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. You should know that the responses first began with their expressed appreciation for a church that invests so generously in the lives of children and youth and the pride that they feel for the 170 years of our church's life. 
Indeed, it is a time to celebrate our history and the impact our church has had on individuals, our community, and this world. It also is a time to look forward to God's great challenge for our future as Christians. In the spirit of looking forward, let us begin in prayer. God of our past, present, and future, please prepare our hearts and minds to receive the challenge you set before us in scripture and word. Humble us in our time of celebration and excite us about the future in which we might join you in life-giving service to all people. Amen. The parting of the Red Sea is one that we have heard many, many, many times in Sunday school. It is a story of our faith. I remember the felt board with the felt puppets and how my Sunday school teachers would part the Red Sea to allow the Israelites to pass. I most often have celebrated the emancipation of the Israelites and have not thought very much about the Egyptians in this story. After all, I must be like the Israelites, one of God's chosen, right? Perhaps there is something to learn from the ancient Egyptians in this story as well. In the first chapter of the book of Exodus, we learn that a new king came to power in Egypt who feared that the Israelites were becoming far too numerous. He declared, we must deal shrewdly with them or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies in fighting against us. That was the beginning of the 430 years in which Abraham's descendants were enslaved by Egypt. Egyptians were privileged people who had enjoyed great success for many years. They likely were good people who took care of their own, but their fear drove them to oppress foreigners, people who did not look like or talk like they did. They feared the unknown. I certainly can relate to fearing the unknown. Church, you sent me to Belarus to show God's love to children and teens when I was only a teen myself. Upon arriving in Minsk, I learned that each member of our mission team would be staying in a different host home alone. Youth minister Tom Beam was the first to be picked up by his host family leaving Clayton, Matthew, Ari, and me standing on the curb in a foreign city a long way from Bowling Springs. I remember the ride with strangers to my host home thinking I may never see anyone I know again. Though I could not understand the language spoken, I was greeted with kindness and hospitality. Smiles, hugs, a warm meal, and a bed. Later that night, when alone in bed, I trembled with fear and tears as I pleaded with God to take care of me. I never had felt so lonely in all my life and simultaneously felt closest to God that night. It was 11 p.m. in Minsk, 
And when I looked at my watch, I realized it was 6 a.m. in Bowling Springs. Many of you, my parents most of all, were praying for me in your morning quiet time. We were praying together. I was not alone. God is with the stranger in a foreign land. I was a stranger and yet I was treated with hospitality and my needs were met. I later learned that the head couple of the household in which I stayed slept on the basement floor of the apartment complex those nights that I was in their home. They gave me the very best they had, their own bed, because I was a guest in their country. In spite of my fears, God still used me to show love to strangers who became friends and ultimately brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of you also have stories of serving God beyond the comforts of home. I've heard your reports of hospitality shown to you in foreign lands. In turn, we as a church have a history of extending hospitality to foreigners who enter these doors. We are missional people, after all. I now invite you to think of the Christian church at large and even our nation. What messages are we sending to foreigners, refugees, immigrants, or even fellow Americans who just do not look like or live like the majority of us? I think this is where we can relate to the Egyptians in that we are a proud and privileged nation. We often fear the unknown. We allow fear to guide our words and our actions. What if our nation and the Christian church at large spoke and acted out of love instead of fear? We can learn a real life lesson from the Egyptians who oppressed others out of their own fear. Scripture shows us evil ends in death. Pharaoh's entire army was destroyed that day. The gospel reminds us love perseveres. Love is God's ultimate commandment. I was a very young chaplain serving in a Baptist hospital in Texas when one of my patients gave birth to a stillborn at 38 weeks. My patient was a 17-year-old who immigrated from Mexico with her parents when she was young. She had not received adequate prenatal care and came to the hospital in distress. A nurse told me that she did not have health insurance and would only be allowed to stay one night. Her family did not accompany her to the emergency room out of fear of deportation. She was alone, holding her lifeless baby in her arms. I sat at her side in silence for a long time as she wept. She asked me to pray. Of course, I had been praying since before I entered the room. 
I spoke aloud words that were inadequate, but when prayed from the depths of despair, had a divine power to comfort, if only momentarily. She then asked me to baptize her son. I gathered a basin of water and a towel, and I baptized the head of her son while she cradled his body. My eyes filled with tears, and as I looked upon that mother's face, her sad eyes met mine, and she smiled. Her quivering lips spoke the words, He lives now. Later that day, I told my supervisor about this precious and most holy act of baptism. He quickly cut in, saying it is against our Baptist hospital policy to baptize a baby, stating it must be the person's own decision to receive baptismal blessing. What you did is wrong, he said. Baptizing that mother's son may have been against hospital policy, but it was not wrong. To a grieving mother who was in search of the presence of God in a time of complete emptiness, the ritual of baptism was an act of love and it gave life. God expects us to act and to speak out of love. Church, let us be the presence of love beyond these walls, beyond even this community. Advocate for this stranger, for the oppressed, for the innocent child among us, even if it goes against some policy. Fear too often prevents us from doing what God commands of us. Love because God loves us. Do not allow fear to be the death of us Christians. Returning to our lectionary text, we can relate to the Israelites in this ancient story as well. Verse 19 reads, The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. God moved from leading the Israelites forward to nudging them from behind. The Israelites watched as the Red Sea gradually parted before them and feared that it would swallow them in death with every step they took. Of course God had to nudge them forward. I know I would be the last one to follow anyone, Moses or even God Almighty, into a sea that was parted with water on both sides of me. I am too afraid. God went behind the Israelites and pushed them forward while simultaneously protecting them from their enemies, enemies who tried to stop them from advancing. We are celebrating 170 years of life 
Clearly, we have been following God's lead. A church does not survive so long without faithfully seeking the direction of God. Standing on the shore of our present day, the future we face is uncertain, though. Almost all of the comments I received from other BSBC kids who now are adults expressed concern about our ability to survive in this changing culture if we are not committed to changing with it. God very well may be nudging us from behind, forcing us to advance in spite of our fears and far beyond what has been comfortable to us for so long. According to seasoned pastor, the Reverend Bill Wilson, there are two components of a healthy and vibrant church our memories of the past, and our imaginations that allow us to adapt to the mission of God in the future. Jesus confronted a religious system steeped in tradition. While honoring those who had gone before him, he also peeled back the layers of meaningless repetition to reveal the original intent and then breathed new life into that truth. Reverend Wilson reminded me that Jesus taught us worship is not about Sabbath rules, but about revering Almighty God and offering oneself wholly to God. The love of neighbor is not limited to people like us, but is extended to those different from us, even adulterers, lepers, and foreigners. Jesus paid homage to the memories and traditions, but landed most emphatically on the power of imagination to rethink and reframe an eternal truth in an innovative way. This pluralistic and diverse country in which we find ourselves is perfectly suited for Jesus's mission of inclusion, and Christ-centered unity in the midst of diversity. Church, you taught me that God looked on creation and saw that it was good. I learned from you that all people are created in the image of God and deserve to be treated with dignity, hospitality, and loving care. You modeled this for me through your actions of love. As an adolescent, I was aware of the differences and challenges that existed among us. Within our church family, there are people who live with mental illness and depression. Most of us struggle with racism. Many of us are trapped in addiction. We are gay. We are straight. We wrestle with our identities and our phobias. When I was an impressionable youth, I knew these differences and challenges existed among us, and I watched as you, my church, embraced and loved all people within these walls. Our history has proven that we accept differences between us. 
Imagine a future in which we advocate for the safety, well-being, and rights of all people beyond our walls who are oppressed by unjust systems currently in place. Church, you equipped me when I was young for the ministry to which God would call me later in life. As you know, Hospice care is provided to terminally ill patients and their families when the patient is given six months to live or less. This is the mission field to which God called me to serve as a chaplain. I quickly learned that there are few places in ministry that offer more diversity of people than hospice care. The reason for this is quite simple. Death does not discriminate. We all must die. As a hospice chaplain, I shared Christ's love with people similar to me and those very different from me. I ministered to the poor and the rich and provided care to infants and elderly, to all in between. My patients were celebrities, homeless people, Convicted murderers, gang members, veterans, Christians and non-Christians, undocumented immigrants and citizens. Each one was a child of God, created in the image of God. For the majority of people, what matters most when facing death is love. We just want to be loved. There are countless articles circulating that predict the death of the Christian church in America. I would rather not waste our time quoting statistics, research, and opinions of if, when, and why the church is dying. Fostering fear is not healthy. Instead, let us imagine a future that is rooted in love and not fear. As a hospice chaplain, I witnessed many times a patient discharged from our terminal care because when she was given a prognosis of impending death, she changed her habits and became more healthy. It is possible. Let us begin by engaging the millennial generation with humility and a willingness to listen. They are sitting beside us in these pews, but many of them have not entered this church since high school. When I reached out to them, they were eager to give feedback. This shows us they care about the health and the future of our home church. We need to invite them to take lead, admitting that we do not have all the answers. We need all people within these walls and beyond, to take a place in our church, to lead out how many current deacons are under the age of 30. Imagine letting go of the way we have always done things if it will lead us to new life and growth. There must be a place for contemporary worship in our future, for life groups that meet in homes for Sunday school classes that meet at different times, perhaps in a coffee shop or even at a pub. 
the advocacy efforts within our community and on a state level as we speak up for those whom Jesus called the least of these, whose voices continually are ignored, this is what matters to our millennial generation. Imagine opening our doors to more local missions and service programs just as we do for the daycare center and the scout troop. Expand our hospitality to the community through an after-school program for tutoring, an ESL class, by housing a refugee or homeless family for a brief time, by hosting a traveling medical clinic, by continuing to offer our baseball field, our picnic shelter, and our gym to outsiders. These are your ideas. Ask the millennial generation about their ideas for fostering a newness of life while maintaining our identity as a missional people. Remember, God made a way for the Israelites when there was no way. The way forward, according to the BSBC kids I polled, is to be more authentically the church you taught us to be. You taught us through word and deed to love God and to love others, to serve God and to serve others. They want to make a positive impact in this world. For the millennial generation to be church with us, we must allow God to use them like Moses as our leaders forward. God will not only make a way, God also will nudge us from behind. For those of us like the Israelites who are questioning whether we have the stamina and courage to move forward, let me remind us all of the missional legacy of 170 years of church life. If we are willing to join God at work once again, then there is a lot of life ahead of us. Every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, has a place in our future. I worked for the School of Divinity at Gardner-Webb following graduation. Part of my job was to help ministerial students find places to serve and live out God's call while they were in seminary. I was contacted by a prominent African-American pastor and the then mayor of Shelby with an idea of placing ministerial students in one of the poorest and highest crime areas in Shelby. They hoped that a positive presence in that community might prevent so many children and teens from falling in with gangs and continuing a life cycle of crime. I chose two very strong, tall, young men to move into the house on the corner in the middle of that neighborhood. I confess that I did not even pray about who to send for this mission. It was obvious to me who was best for such a dangerous place. The young men repeatedly were victims of theft over the years of service, but gradually they laid a foundation of tough love and a constant dependable presence in the community. The work that God began there more than a decade ago is now a vibrant, life-giving mission of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. 
Church, you are financial contributors to this mission. The missionary who serves this community is one you know well, CBF field personnel Cecilia Beck. She is a single, petite, middle-aged white woman with gray hair and grandchildren of her own. To the members of one of the roughest neighborhoods around, she is the presence of Christ. She is family. She is, for many of them, the only love they know. Cecilia imagined a future in which she could make a home among people who are created in the image of God, but who are born oppressed by the color of their skin, by the cycle of poverty, and by the unwarranted fear others have of them. God made a way. Cecilia learned to rely on her neighbors, whom she now considers family, and she concentrates on being with rather than doing for them. God is transforming lives and liberating young people through the ministry of Cecilia Beck. Maybe you do not know that Cecilia and I were seminary classmates at Gardner-Webb. She was a ministerial student when the idea of this mission was pitched to me all those years ago. As I said, I did not even pray about who to send. Instead, I just chose two young, strong men because I feared for the safety of anyone else. Wow. I am so glad God kept working in that neighborhood in spite of me and my prejudices. I'm thankful God made a way for a person I did not consider. God not only nudges us forward, but also provides us protection. Cecilia said, one of my favorite neighbors is a man who once told me, there are a million eyes watching out for you. There is nothing to fear. She loves them and they know it. Love is life. From Moses to Jesus, from Cecilia to each of us, God is making a way for even the most unlikely people to act and to speak out of love, to bring new life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Deborah, you have challenged us in so many ways. You've caused me to think about many things. One of the things, um, we keep up with each other's families a little bit through conversations or, or through Ellen or through Facebook. And Friday night, uh, Aiden and I had a chance to go to a camp in the mountains, deep mountains of North Carolina. And all of a sudden my GPS decided to quit working. And luckily I had printed directions, uh, but when I found the voice of my friend on the, other, on the other line, on the other end, and guided me in, it was such a great comfort. And the reason I say this in light of what you said was the fear of the unknown. I'm with my 11-year-old son deep in the mountains, not knowing where in the world I needed to go. And there was a little bit of fear that set in, and I could sense some anxiety in Aiden with that as well. But to hear the loving voice of my friend on the other end to guide me in meant everything to me. As we think about our future and as we move forward into, we, some, some of us may have a fear of the unknown. 
And so I would ask, just like the, the comforting voice of my friend, the loving voice of my friend, are we responding? Are we listening to the loving voice of our Heavenly Father as we move forward into the fear of the unknown? We're going to stand and sing, they'll know we are Christians by our love. And as we do that, if the Lord has spoken to you this morning and you would like to respond, maybe you would like to commit your life to him. Maybe that call that Deborah spoke of here at Boiling Springs, maybe the Lord is speaking to your hearts and calling you in some ways to new levels, new steps of commitment. If that be the case, the altar is open. If you desire church membership, we would like to talk with you about that as well. Let's stand and sing together. Dr. Bonner, thank you, Kathy, and thank you, Deborah, for being a part of a very special service this morning. Let me remind you that this evening at six o'clock, we'll have an ordination service for Alan Newcomb, Mary Newcomb. We encourage each of you to come back for this special time. Receive now this benediction. Speak to our guest following our time here this morning. And uh, let me remind you of our choral response following this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.